All right, I am excited. I'm ready to go jump into this message, uh, the continuous series in Judges. I was asking some people when I got back from sabbatical, it's been, then this thing started, really been going, going well. We only have three weeks left, I think, in this series. Then it comes to an end. So I've asked, how's it been going? What's, I've asked a ton of you that. And I've getting all kinds of great feedback and hearing different things, what God's doing. I asked one person, and um, his response to me was, uh, he, he, he kind of got caught. I wasn't sure. He, he said, well, I like the series, but you know what I really like? I like that video and the music to it before the series. <laughs> so I had to stop a minute. I'm like, I don't know if I remember that. So I, I was, anyway, so now I remember it. I'm like, that's, that's, that's got, a good, got a good groove to it. I think I could, uh, I could go with that. So I was excited to be here. Um, if you have a known journal with you, we're on page 70 on it. You say, well, Adam, the one I have is orange. The one you have is blue. These are the brand new ones. These start in three weeks. So I want to draw attention to that. Uh, if you're new to the church, say, what is this? What is the known journal? Well, it's a, a reading plan that we put together that works through the passages of scriptures. Some of the ones we have here in the Sunday morning takes you through others, but it gives you an opportunity. We're so passionate at Bethany to give you an opportunity to connect with God day in and day out. Um, not just come and hear from us on a Sunday, but really hear from God himself. So we put together a plan to help you do that. The new ones are here. If you don't even have the old one, they're here as well. And they're also, you don't need to do it in a journal format. There are just pamphlets that give you the plan to read. Man, I am, um, wanted to start by saying thank you uh, to those of you who were praying for this family here, how you see on the screen, how that is the Grand Canyon there. We had an incredible gift given to us a huge gift, huge blessing to allow us to travel. Uh, so fun. I got to say to my kids, where do you want to go? And so we spent three and a half weeks traveling out in the West Coast and I got to say, what do you want to do? And I got to hardly had to say no. That's fun as a dad. I hate saying no as a dad, but times you have to. So, uh, but more than anything, I want to just say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I know a number of you were praying for us and uh, praying for me because it it's, um, took us very seriously and said, hey, Adam, it's great that you get away. We're excited. I'm going to talk more about my sabbatical, not so much about the trip and all the cool places we went. Um, we got to kayak through the Redwood Forest, and that was a cool thing. If you ever, ever get a chance to do that, go do it. It was a really cool thing. But anyway, don't want to digress there. But we're not going to tell us, talk so much about our travels, but we're going to talk more in three weeks. We're going to give you an update because what I really have realized is a number of you were invested in this sabbatical by praying for me. Uh, and our family. But more than that, the reason I take the sabbatical is because our policy uh, here at the church requires an ask that our pastoral staff every um, so many years takes a sabbatical, takes time off to rest. So it's, I took the sabbatical because of my position here at the church, which we're all family. And so really my story of the sabbatical is our story. And so the things that God was doing in my heart really ultimately will impact this family here. So it's important to me to kind of share some of them, and not, so we're going to do that uh, the week of Labor Day. Uh, so I want to come back from the beach early, be here Sunday morning, and um, encourage you to do that, and we're going to really kick it around because God really did a cool special work, and I'm more than anything, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to those of you who were praying. Now, judges, I was kind of thrown a softball, if you will, to knock the rust off to get back into this. I have the opportunity to talk about probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. Just test me on this. Um, I'll throw out a name and you finish it. Samson and, all right, you guys know it. Even if you're not a part of a church, you didn't grow up in a church, you didn't grow up, maybe the Bible's brand new to you. And you don't even, you don't even, you've likely heard of these two characters. Uh, it's a messy story. It's a crazy story. At times we're left scratching our head thinking, what on earth was he thinking? Um, but anyway, I think with all my, I really believe, uh, if you turn with me to Judges chapter 16, page 217, and the Bible's in the seats in front of you, I believe with all my heart that those of you who are here this morning Uh, I think this is the majority of you, honestly. You came here this morning not because you had to. Uh, Maybe some of you did. Came because mom or dad made you or your husband or wife kind of drug you along. But I think most of you are here this morning because you're saying, you know what, I want to meet God. That's why why we come to church. Interact with our friends and meet God in a fresh way. Uh, So we open up the scriptures to do that. So I think those of you who are here to do that, those of you who are honestly seeking, those of you who are really here to be honest with yourself and honest before God, I believe you are going to leave this morning with an immense amount of hope, strength, and courage. I really believe that. See, I believe what we meet in this story, we meet a God, uh, a God who is faithful when we are not. We meet a God who works in really dark places, 
When we blow it and blow it big time, he is still there behind the scenes and sometimes right out in front and center working. We meet a God who says, you know what, you know what? I'm not always going to give you what you ask of me, but I'm going to one up and give it even more. Because what I am going to really give you, and it's the heart of this story, is I'm going to give you me. I want you to be close with me. And I believe with all my heart, that's why most of you are here this morning, because you want to be close with God. I want to, I want to draw in with him. I want to have a, there's something inside of us that pulls us in that direction. So I really believe with all my heart, till you finish this story and get through the mess of it, you're going to find yourself in this story. And as you find yourself, you're going to find a God who is incredibly faithful uh, to us. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to tell the story. In that known journal, you're going to read it this week. So I'm not going to go through and read the whole thing. I want to tell it, and then we're going to look at two verses that I believe are key to understanding the entire story. Is that, is that cool? Can we do that? Here we go. Here's how the story is. So Pastor Chris was here last week and talked about, he's talked the last two weeks about Samson's rule and how his reign is kind of set up. At the end of chapter 15, it mentions 20 years. So 20 years between chapter 15 and chapter 16 happen. You come into chapter 6 and it says, then one day. So it's like this, all of a sudden it's like, whoop, just out of nowhere, Samson decides to do this. What he does is he goes to the town of Gaza. Now when you read that, you say, okay, we might be tempted to just kind of read through to get in all the juicy tidbits of the story. But it's really important to pause here because Gaza is the capital of, the, of kind of the, the, the main region of the Philistines' occupation of Israel. So he's coming in to kind of the, the, the town. It kind of be like, okay, so I know the U.S. has been pulling out of Iraq, but, you know, the U.S., we really occupied Iraq for a long time. Um, it would kind of be like the president of Iraq kind of walking into Washington, D.C. and setting up and saying, I'm here, guys. It's the occupying nation. So, there's, so Israel's kind of in oppression with the occupied nation of Philistines. And the leader of that, of, of Israel, just walks into to the headquarters and says, I'm here. Now, this kind of alerts some activity. This kind of causes some angst. Uh, what he, the text is very honest. He's there and he, he jumps in bed with a prostitute. So the people kind of get in with this prostitute and they form this plan to say, hey, at daybreak, at daybreak, we're going to come in here. Well, you'll be okay, but we're going to come in here and take him out. Samson gets word of this, and so at midnight, uh, Samson kind of thwarts their plan. And the coolest thing, it's kind of, when you read the scriptures, you wonder, why did they include that detail? Well, Samson goes and wipes them out, and then he takes, he takes the doors off the city, and and, and historians believe these doors were roughly 700 pounds. So think of this, 700 pounds. Now, when I was in high school, I was, a, I was a power lifter, a competitive power lifter. I went to the state championship my senior year. I almost set a state amateur record. I, at, the, at the very height of my deadlifting, I had 650-some pounds. That's still 50 pounds short of 700, and all I had to do was stand up to here with it. I mean, he picks these things up and walks out of town with them. Now, that says a lot. That says, hey, guys, I'm here. I mean business. I'm I'm legit. I mean, don't mess with me. And all I have to think of the, I think the other significance is, is what do the gates do to a city? They protect it. So I think Samson's saying, you guys are exposed. I'm here. So Samson kind of settles in. He, he moves in with a girl named Delilah. Here Delilah now enters, comes front and center, center stage. And he falls in love with her. The text is very clear. He's in love with this girl. I mean, he's in love moves in with her, and um, the, the leaders of the area are like, okay, we're going to take him out. So the leaders, the kind of the who's who of the Philistine nation, show up to Delilah and offer her a lot of cash and say, if you work with us to take this guy out, this money's yours. Now, Delilah takes it. She's all in. She's like, heck yeah. But more than I think the money, I think, the text doesn't tell us, but I think someone else what's playing out in Delilah's mind is she's like, well, these are the who's who. I could go down in Philistine history as the girl that took out Samson. So she's in. She buys in. Samson kind of comes back onto the scene now, and and she approaches Samson, her her love, and they have this discussion. As you read it, I I like sometimes we read this story, we, we miss the personality of it. I don't know what she said or how she said it, but but she comes to her like, oh honey, you are such a stud. I mean, you picture her buttering him up as, what I, as I read it. I don't know what, what you may hit your mind as you read the story. But I feel her like rubbing his biceps and telling him what a 
what, an, what, a, what a beast he is and how, how much. And really, really feeling, I mean, his head's getting bigger. And, and then she's like, what's your magic? Like, how, like, what's your workout? I mean, is it P90X? Is it, I mean, is it, what do you do? I mean, what is this thing that you do? Because So he tells her a lie. Well, seven brand new bowstrings. Tie me up and my strength is gone. Goes to bed. She gets the bowstrings out, ties them up. Again, we read in the text, we miss the personality. I don't know what she does. Oh, honey, 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 the the, the Philistines are here. Please get up and save me. So he wakes up, off goes the bowstrings, and he makes a mess of their lives. Brings them to an end. Now, this happens three times. Three times she begs. Three times he gives an answer. Three times it's wrong. The fourth time. The fourth time. She comes to him. And again, I don't know, you picture in your own mind maybe the personality. I, I picture kind of a, a soft, seductive, yet a little bit of a whine to the voice. You guys know what I mean? Maybe you've been around that. That's what I, kind of what I picture in my mind. Um, like, oh, how can you say that you love me? Like, that's kind of what I picture. It's what she literally says. The text says she says that. How can you say that you love me and you lie to me all the time? And so he's listening. And then it says this. This is interesting. It says in the text, as you read it this week, it says that she um, tormented him and nagged him day and night. Now, men in the room and women, I'll give you a little short marriage. I don't want to digress too much with short marriage lesson. Um, it says in the scriptures in Genesis that it is not good that man should be alone. Amen, brothers, right? You, you men are here. You're like, yes, I am all in with that. It is not good that man should be alone. We feel that, we know it. But it also says in the scriptures about a nagging wife, better to live in a desert all alone, right? It's not good you be alone, but it's far better than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Now, I'm not just here to pick on the wives. It's, anyway, we'll get back on track. So Samson, Samson is being nagged and tormented. And so he gives in. He tells her the truth. It's, the text says he falls asleep in a very vulnerable position. Her, his head is literally on her lap. So I picture, again, don't, we read this, we just kind of read the facts, but I picture, um, you know, they didn't have, they weren't watching a movie back then, but they might have spent the night together, interacting, talking, talking about their day, sharing intimately. She's probably rubbing his back, maybe massaging it, and he falls asleep. And then out come the scissors, and off comes the hair. She does the whole thing again. Oh, honey, 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 they're here, they're here. He wakes up. This time, no strength. He ends up a prisoner. He ends up with his eyes gouged out, which is brutal to think about that. I mean, that just the thought of that is just the, the, the action of it. Then the life that you live now blind. And then he is, in essence, put into a work camp where he is now producing grain to feed the Philistines, his enemy. You read the story. His hair grows back over time. He's brought into a drunken party. All the who's who, there's 3,000 roughly powerful and mighty Philistine rulers and leaders and all the movie stars are there and everyone's gathered and they bring him in to have fun and poke fun of him. And he, you know the story, right? He stands between the pillars, he prays one time to God, his strength is back, brings the house down. It says in the text that he kills more Philistines in that action than his entire 20 plus years of ruling. It loosens the grip of the Philistines over the Israelites and they're now freed from them. So that's the story. Now, a week ago, as I began to come back from sabbatical, and I began to thought, okay, open up my scriptures and start looking at this passage, and what am I going to start letting this thing set in and study it? I opened up um, so that you guys have the known journal on page 70. If you have it there, you're reading a big idea. That big idea was put together. um, I actually wrote it. (laughs) It's last, last, uh, I don't know, March-ish. So here's what I read, and here's what you'll see. Take it to the bank. Your unattended sin will destroy you in the end. Now, a week ago, I open up, and I'm reading that. I read the story, and then I read this. And I looked at it, and something did not set in my heart. And I was like, okay, I'm back from sabbatical. Maybe I'm rusty. Or maybe I'm back from sabbatical, and there's something fresh in me that this is not fully accurate. So I pushed on this. What do you guys think of this statement? Is it true? Is that statement true? Maybe like, I'm not going to answer. I don't know he's going to trick us. <laughs> it's a true statement. But what I wrestled with and wrestled with and wrestled with is that is not, in my opinion, the why this passage is in the Scripture. 
This passage was not given to us to study Samson's life, to learn how addiction and unattended sin will destroy us in the end. More than that, more than that, in the end, yes, he lost his life and was destroyed, but in the end, he brought a lot of life and fulfilled God's promise. So I sat back and thought, okay, I got I to come up with a new big idea. So I have a new big idea. But I want to honor this one because there's a lot of truth in this. Okay, and we can, I want to talk about some of the truth of this briefly, and then I'll jump into what I really think this passage is about. So the truth of it. When you look at this story of Samson and Delilah, if you are not familiar with addiction and the cycle that it plays in a person's life, or if you're not familiar with destructive relationships and the cycle that they can spin, you're likely left scratching your head like, what on earth? Dude, I mean, come on. You knew she was out to get you. Why would you tell her this? But for those of you who are familiar with addiction, you look at it and say, I see myself all over this passage. Here's what I mean. Addiction. What addiction really is at its core is coping. When you hear someone struggling with addiction, whatever, alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, uh, shopping, uh, money, gambling, whatever the addiction is, when you hear of it, often we get into our addictions because it's masking or covering up hurts and, and other pain, and we want to cope in life. So to cope in life, we go after certain things. Now, what I've learned about addictions is most of the things that we go after are things like, I need rest. I just want to be, I want to rest. I need survival. You ever met someone who's trying to survive? They've been through trauma and abuse and awful things in their life, and they just, they need to, they need to numb it. They just want to survive. They can't stand the flashbacks and the pain and the trauma that revisits them, so they numb that pain out. So it's either survival, it can be rest, it can be, man, we're looking for adoration. That's oftentimes those who are addicted to sex. Well, they aren't really addicted to physical pleasure. Yes, that's cool. But what they really want is either that person that worships them, adores them, or maybe the flip, they want to be able to the power and the, the ability to control another person. So maybe we want those things. Or, or maybe it's um, validation or peace. But behind addictions, it's a coping because they want something. And here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned about addiction. It's hard to get enough of something that almost works. That's how addictions work. Most things, not all things, that people get hooked to give life. A marriage, a relationship, that's a really good thing. It's a really good thing. But it's not the complete thing. And that's what we've been talking about, Pastor Chris was talking about all throughout Judges, is idols of the heart. Most addictions give us a taste of something. It's just enough, and it's hard to get enough of something that almost works. So what do you do? You go back for more, and you go back for more, and you go back for more. And it just, it's like this spiral. And before long, I think of a tornado. Up top, up top as it spins, it's not, the, the vort, it's not as fast as when you get down here, the speed of down at the funnel of that cone just increases. Soon you're down here, and it's sucking faster and faster and faster. And Samson, I believe, is at that point in the addiction cycle. Now, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us what he needed, what he was coping with, what he was going after. You can you go home and read commentators or Google it. People have all kinds of opinions. They talk about his parents. They go back, they, all kinds of stuff. I, who knows? Uh, it appears at some level it's adoration. Sex plays a role at some point. I mean, it's clear all throughout his life. And, and when that stuff begins to play in, you soon become, you're in denial of, of the motives of the other person. I mean, he couldn't possibly disappoint Delilah, even if it would lead to his ruin. Why couldn't he disappoint her? Because he needed her. That's how it works. That's how destructive relationships happen. I know I'm codependent and I'm causing this problem, but I can't possibly say no to them because, it, man, my identity rests on that, and I can't say no because I need them. And it's this, this give and take and push and pull, and it just sucks you in the point where he loses his life. Here's a lesson I would take from this. Unless you have had an experience of God's love that fills you to the deepest parts of you, you will continue to use other people to bolster and prove yourself. I think that's what they did. Scriptures tell you to serve the spouses, one another. I think Samson, <laughs> they're using one another. 
Now, here's the next thing I would say with this. Uh, unattended sin, in the end, will destroy you. The next thing I would say is this. No one plans to ruin their life. No one. How many of you know people have just made a mess of life? Maybe you're just like, oh, I'm that person. <laughs> you know, when you talk to them, they did not wake up and say, hmm, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to go and sleep with someone who's not my spouse to completely destroy and jack up my entire family. That's what I'm going to do today. They didn't wake up and say, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to go OD on drugs. So I end, up on the, I end up in the hospital and cause a mess for my whole family. You know what I'm going to do today? I am going to abuse my child today. That's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to abuse them and I'm going to ruin their life. We don't do it. Why do we do the destructive things that we do? Well, I love, I love this passage of Scripture that runs a lot with this, in the end, unattended sins will lead to a mess. And it's this, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature. So if you are living for you, I've got to take care of my pain, my stuff, my things. In the end, you're going to harvest. You're going to, this is a whole reaping and sowing. It's kind of a farmer casting seeds. You're going to harvest, look what it says, decay and death from that sinful nature. But the transition, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Now, when I say no one wakes up to plans to ruin their life in that day, here's how it works. Andy Stanley, a pastor that I look to and learn from, and he says it this way, every poor moral decision is prefaced by a series of unwise choices. No one wakes up saying they're going to have an affair. Do you know how it happens? It happened over months or maybe even years. It happens like maybe, you know, you have a a spat with your spouse. You try to step towards them to confront them with something that hurt you, and they don't listen. You walk away ticked off. They don't listen to me. You don't deal with it in your heart. It sets in. After a while, you begin to play some fantasies out in your mind. Maybe you're, you're running to other relationships in your mind. You're thinking what it would like to be with her. Or maybe, maybe you're thinking, well, divorce is an option. What other options do I have? Well, you know what? I could end her life. Or maybe she could get cancer. And you start spinning all this stuff out in your mind. But you're like, that's ah, not going to hurt me because it's in my mind. And then at work, you have that coworker. The day comes where you tell a, tell a joke and, and they laugh and they respond. And, and what I've learned about this cycle is early on, your conscience is still sharp. And you go, oh my word, I'm flirting. You know it. You know it. But you continue to do it and not address it. Soon you don't even know it. You don't even know where you're doing it. So it's soon now, it's rampant. It's, it's consistent and regular. You're flirting, you're joking, they're responding. Before long, you're texting. Texting get later at night. You're hiding your phone from your spouse so you can't see it. Any time, listen to me. When you're dealing with addictions, when people are hiding, it's a sign things are not good. So you're hiding now. You're hiding the phone. You can't let your spouse see. You're, 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 you're hiding everything. You're hiding your alcohol. You're hiding your drugs. You're hiding all over the place. In your mind, you're going, but it's, but it's for work. I'm texting for work. Then, then, then the lunch meetings. Oh, we, we have to get together for work. Well, those lunch meetings start to drag out longer, and you soon start talking about personal things, and you're sharing about your kids, and, you're, and soon your hearts are connecting. And then the day comes when you're gathered around the conference table, your whole team's working on a project, and your hand slips up on their shoulder. And then the hand goes down the back, and the energy that you feel in your body is like, wow. Then a week later, you're both... Stay late in the office for work. And you wake up the next morning going, oh my goodness, I slept with someone who's not my spouse. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. Now here's the really, really scary part. Grace in that moment would be for you to get caught. But most of us don't get caught. We're too good. What do we do? Let's hide that. You let anyone know. Now, here's what I've found happens. I've watched this in my life and other people's lives. We get away with it, and life is still really good. Never forget, I had a, I had a relationship with a pastor. It was one of the largest, one of the churches, one of the largest churches in uh, the Midwest part of our country. Fast, rapid growth. 
I mean, it went from 1,000 to 6,000 to multiple thousands, fast, rapid growth. And here I am sitting with him in Charlotte, North Carolina, after an affair that had been exposed. The whole time through that fast, rapid growth, he was having an affair with his administrative assistant. See, most of us have this idea that, oh my goodness, an affair is going to ruin the work of God. Well, during his affair was when they grew faster than any other time in that church's history. So I want to just squash in your mind the idea that when, but that's how it works. I got away with this, and life is still going really, really good. And we're going to see that in Samson's life. It's a key, key concept here. I got away with the lie. I got away with the clicks. I got away, I got away with it. No one knows. I got away with the drugs. No one knows. I got away with the alcohol. No one knows. Nothing bad happened. So we go back for more. And we go back for more. And then our eyes are gouged out. So that's the truth of this story. Okay, that big idea will preach, and it's very true. Yet I want to show you something else in this text. I want to go show you some hope in this text, some real life in this text. I believe as I look at this text, as you read the scriptures, when you open up to a passage like Judges 16, I want to give you a little, maybe some of you know this. Um, when, you read the, when you read the scriptures, when you sit down, just you and God, one of the very first questions that you've got to ask about a text is why is it here? Think about it. Samson had 20 plus years of reign. Why did God pick the stories he picked to put in the passage? Think about Jesus' life. Jesus lived for 30 plus years, three years of ministry. Why did they pick the specific stories that were picked? They could have told tons of other stories. So it's always important to ask, why is it here? And then ask this question, where does it fit in to the bigger work of God? So, so this is where you got to start to understand the larger work of Scripture. What is God's plan and how does this section, how does this passage fit in? And what I've come to learn, you can read passages like this and learn lessons from Samson's life, but it's really not in the text to teach us lessons about Samson's life or addiction. Why is this passage here? Do you know why it's here? I believe with all my mind, it's God saying to us, hey guys, me, I am enough. God's whispering to your heart, I don't, don't, no, I am enough. The whole cycle of judges, Pastor Chris has been talking about that. Me, come to me for relationship, be with me. All throughout the story, I'm working. It may not look like it. You may be occupied right now by a Philistine nation. You've got a judge that's kind of shady and, and at best. And we, there's a mess, but I am working. And more than that, I am faithful. I've got a good plan for you. That's why this passage is here. This passage is here so that you don't walk away impressed with Samson's mess, but you walk away impressed with a God who's at work. And more than anything, I think God is saying, it is not over until it is over. And some of you this morning came here because you need to hear this message. It is not over until it's over. Well, let me talk about this. Here's the text. Look with me at verse 20. 16, verse 20. Here's where I begin to pull some of this out. It says, then she cried out. This is Delilah. Samson's hair has been cut off. She's going to wake him up. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, don't miss this. this. You want to understand this story. This is crucial to the story. I will do as before and shake myself free. I will do as before. Now, immediately he's taught, thinking about the bowstrings, the fresh string, and, 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 and the three other times. But I think that is linked to something far bigger, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I will do as before and shake myself free. But, but... He didn't realize what? What's it say? Who left him? But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. Now he woke up and he would have known my head is bald. I have no hair. But he did not realize that the Lord had left him. Let me ask you this question. Not a trick question at all. Pull an answer in your mind. In this story, why did Samson... Lose his strength. Got an answer? In this story, why, in this story, why did God leave him? Do you have an answer? What's your answer? 
Say it out loud. I'm sure all of you have pretty much the same answer. Why? What did he do? Cut his hair. So I'm sitting a week ago studying this, and I'm like, you know what? Galatians chapter 3 came to my mind. Galatians chapter 3 says very clearly, you do not have the Holy Spirit's presence because you obey the law. So think about our answers to why Samson lost his strength. Why did God leave him? We say, well, because he cut his hair. Is that the gospel of grace? You say, what is grace? Here's what grace is. Grace is working, God working, God providing for people who cannot provide for themselves. That's all throughout the scriptures. God wants a relationship with you built upon this principle. You can't fix it, I'll fix it for you. You can't take care of it, I'll take care of it for you. God wants a relationship with you that you're dependent upon him and his work in your life. When I think about Samson and the thing that I've been taught as a little boy in Sunday school, Samson, we hear all the time, lost his strength because he cut his hair. Now, yes, he disobeyed. Yes, he cut his hair. Yes, it violated the Nazarite vow. And yes, it played a part in why he lost his strength. But he did not lose his strength because he cut his hair. You know why? Come back, look at verse 28. He woke up, verse 20. What did he say when he woke up? I will do as I've done before. If you were here last week, Pastor Chris talked about the Nazarite vow. Samson has been violating the Nazarite vow for most of his life. I mean, he's eating, last week, he's eating out of a dead carcass. That is a clear, bold-faced violation. And then he brings others in to do it too. He leads others astray as well. A bold-faced violation. But what does God do when he violates the Nazarite vow? What does he do? Here last week, does he still work in Samson's life? Does he still operate and, and in grace still accomplish what he wants to accomplish? Absolutely. Because God is providing for people who cannot provide for themselves. I think when Samson wakes up, Samson is at this point where Samson is very dependent upon his own life. His own work, his own, his own. He's at the point, Pastor Chris talked about this, where he's kind of like, this strength is about me. Here's a lesson. I want to, this cut me deep. I think pride's an ugly thing. And I think most of us, if I ask you right now, if your life is going well, I mean, you're knocking out the park. I mean, you're stroking in all eight cylinders. You might even have 12. I mean, you are really, I mean, you got that. I mean, you are, you are moving in life. And I ask you why. Tell me the secret to your success. What are you going to tell me? Most of us, when we're really sitting down and I have you up here in the stage interview, you're going to say, well, you know what? I, was, I had a mom and a dad who taught me this, this, this principle of hard work. And I've always believed how important it is to, to work hard. You may talk about your personality, and you may talk about your savvy, and you may talk about how you're a people person, and you may talk about how important it is to, to win friends and influence people. You may talk about all you may talk about the college you went to. You may talk about the education you have. You may talk about you're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Your good looks, maybe. Good-looking people get statistically get further ahead in life. It's reality. Now, all those things. We'll get you ahead in life, will they not? Will they not? I would be a fool to say they wouldn't. But those things, you know that? In the end, you may be gaining life but losing your soul. I fear for the Christian church today that we preach grace but live law in a very subtle way because we are dependent upon ourselves to get done what we want to get done. And it's so subtle because most of us, you know, who told you when to get up this morning? You're in control of that, right? You chose when to set your alarm. You chose what to have for breakfast or not to have breakfast. Likely, unless you're a husband who has struggles with fashion, you likely picked out what you're going to wear, right? Unless maybe your wife set it out for you. Likely, you picked out what car you're going to buy, what house you're going to buy, what house you're not going to buy, how many kids you're going to have, when you're going to have your kids, what school you're going to go to. We live life with this idea that we're in control. That's how Samson was living. This is me that has done this. Now his hair, his hair. 
His strength was never in his hair. You say, no, Adam, that's not what I was taught in Sunday school. That's not what Veggie Tales taught me. Remember Samson's hairbrush? You guys remember that one? Anyone watch that? You can tell our little kids. That, that was at the, my kids were at the height of that Veggie Tales stuff. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Samson's in the, he's in the, he's in the arena now. 3,000 men and women are all gathered around, all the who's who, all the movie stars, all the wealthy, all the rulers, all the business owners, all the who's who, the Philistines are all gathered around. Samson's, the, the young servant leads Samson between the pillars. Samson puts his hands in the pillars, and then verse 28, then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again, O God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson, it goes on, pushed and brought the house down. You know what's interesting about that prayer? What did Samson's head look like when he prayed that prayer? It's fascinating. When you read it this week, pay attention to the detail of the text. His hair was back. So why pray and ask God for strength? Because the strength was never in his hair. See, what the hair was, it was a mark. It was an identity. It was a, it was a saying, I am set apart to something. His hair didn't have magic power. The strength has always been from God. His hair was just a symbol of who he belonged to. And God all along, it said, Samson, I want you to be set apart to me. Samson, I want you to be set apart to me. Samson, I want, here's what it's going to look like. Don't eat from dead things. Don't cut your hair. And, but Samson all along had been violating that, that covenant up one side and down the other, and God had still been working. And Samson finally takes a step, thinks it's going to still happen. He tests God's grace one too many times, and he loses his eyes. So here's what I believe with all my heart. When you and I sin, God does not abandon us. Did you know that? Do you really know that? You know how many people over my years of being a pastor that I've talked with that when bad things happen, they think God is displeased with them? I say, why? (laughs) Why? Well, if, no. When you sin, God does not abandon you. The scriptures teach if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he is with you and will not forsake you. He will never leave you. You say, but, but he's not happy with my sin. No, he's not. You're right. That is an accurate statement. He is not happy with your sin, but he doesn't abandon you. I think how it works is this. You see, it's all throughout scripture. I think how it works is I sin because I want something other than him. I want life outside of him. He whispers in my heart, Adam, 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 come here, come here. Adam, I'm here. Come home. Come, come to me. Well, God, yeah, I, nah, I want this. What God in his grace does, he says, I believe, Romans 1, he does this beautifully. Okay, Adam, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to continue to call you home. But if that's what you want, go take it. And what happens over and over in Scripture, do you know why the Israelites were enslaved for 400 years in, in Egypt? It says because the the people who occupied the land where he wanted to give them, their sin had not yet reached its full measure. You see this all throughout the scriptures. God says, okay, go ahead. And he lets it spin and lets it work. And it works and it gets ugly and it reaches a full measure where we lose our eyes. But it's God's grace. He's, He's not abandoned. He's not leaving. God is saying, no, I'm with you. I'm here. Now, you're grieving my heart. I'm here. How many of us in this room would know if God's presence left us? Think about that question. If you woke up tomorrow morning as a Christ follower and his presence suddenly wasn't with you, would you know it? Would you feel it, sense it, be aware of it? And I fear in my life too often I would say no because in my life too often I'm driven to my goals, my work, my, 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 my. I'm not just dependent on God's work in my life. Now, here's where we're really in with this strong message of hope. It is not over until it's over. You do not need to be remembered for your sin. Samson, if I can leave you with one thing, Samson is not a chump. 
Samson is not the things Chris said he was last week. No, Chris did a great job last week, but I disagree with him. Samson is a hero. You know why he's a hero? You know why? Because he's not remembered for his sin. This passage is not about Samson's failure. You know what this passage is about? Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. Who is listed in the faith chapter? Now, a few weeks ago in this stage, it was mentioned that the reason Samson is there is because of a verse that comes down further where it says, in their weakness, God still worked. And they said, that's why Samson is here. I disagree with that. Read the text. Look what the text says. How much more do I need to say? He's talking all about people who've walked by faith. That's the Christian walk, walk by faith. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of, here's guys you've studied all summer, Gideon, Barak, there he is, Samson. Now why is he here? You say, for heaven's sakes, his life was a mess. We'll continue reading. Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these, plural, People, so who's it referring to? All these people. What does the text literally say? By faith, these people overthrew what? Did Samson overthrow a kingdom? You bet he did. Absolutely he did. Continue reading. Ruled with justice. Last week, I think that was missed. Think about it. Go to the story last week when Samson, all the people come and say, Samson, you're going to make a mess of this. Stop this. You, he, whenever he went out and killed those 30 guys to get the 30 tunics to pay back. And what was his answer? They did it to me first. Is that not at the roots, a little off kilter, but it's a heart of justice. Justice must be done. I believe Samson, and the scriptures tell us, was a just man. Crooked, a mess, but just. And here's the key. Here's the key. And received what God had what? Samson went to his death trusting that God would deliver what he promised. That's beautiful. Samson did not go to his death identified as a, as a sinner. He went to his death saying, I believe and trust in God. He's going to deliver what I've been promised. You know what I've learned? I used to tell this to my football. I, I used to, I'm not coaching football this year. First time in a long, long time. I used to stand in front of my players over and over and over for years and years and years. Here's what I'd say to them. Guys, after, after a loss, I'd say this. I'd say, guys, here's the story. Look at me in the eyes. All you players, look at me in the eyes. Failure is an event, not a person. When you allow failure to become a person, you're going to live in Failure. Take it as an event, learn from it, and live life. You do not need to be defined by your sin. See, Satan is an accuser. He calls you by your sin. He names you for your sin. He calls you out by your sin. And some of us play right into it and identify ourselves by our sin and our past. And God is bigger than your past. You don't need to live through your past. What is God? God calls you by his name. You are called, if you're a Christ follower, a Christian. What is a Christian? By definition, little Christ is its technical definition. Christ follower. God looks at you, if you're a believer in Jesus, and says, you are my son. You are my daughter. Jesus lives in you and identify you as that, not your past and not your story. Now, here's the thing. Samson was, as Chris said last week, I would say arrogant, proud. For some of us, for some of us in this room, we're not humble until we've been humiliated. You ever notice those two words sound an awful lot alike? Samson had to be humiliated. It was ugly. Yet it came, it came as a precious gift. Toby Mack you guys know Toby Max? Some of you know him. Toby Max is cool. 50-some years old and still making good music. I mean, how does that happen? But Toby Max says a mistake that makes you humble is better than an achievement that makes you arrogant. See, some of us, we celebrate the successful people in life, and their souls are so empty. But we put them up on a pedestal. That is the model for success. 
I would say, put up on the pedestal the people like Samson, who at the end of his life did not said, hey, I've been humiliated, but I'm humbled. I'm no longer dependent upon myself. James says it this way. The half-brother of Jesus says, hey, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, may I just say to some of you in this room, you think you're getting away with stuff. You think you are. And right now you might be. No one around you knows the secrets of your heart. No one around you knows where you were on the internet last night. Your spouse doesn't know who you're flirting with. Your dad or mom don't know about the drugs that you're using. But you're walking through life coping with the pain in your own way. In your own way. And God is saying, no, 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 come to me. Depend upon me. Find life in me. And you're going to have grace. The sad thing is, and I've lived this, I've lived this. Many of us don't do it until we've been humiliated. And that's a hard way to go. Can I tell you, I've watched this, I'm old enough now to see men and women hide and hide and hide and then get exposed. It is far uglier for you down that road. And if you humble yourself and just come out and say, I need help. There's far more grace for you on that end, even from the humans that live around you, than on the other end. But I would say this. For those of you in this room who have failed, I want to talk to you. When I say failed, there's some of you in this room that have failed. I'm not talking about, you know, you may fudged a little on your taxes or you may have photocopied some things at work that you weren't supposed to photocopy because they tell you not to do personal things. I'm talking about failed. You look in your rearview mirror and there is some serious and legitimate pain. Right? I'm, I, you, some of you, you know, you failed. I believe as I read this passage, I, I've one of those men. I was humiliated coming out of Charlotte. It was hard. It was ugly. I've shared my story in the past and the things I've done to my wife. It was hard and it was ugly. But oh, what a gift it was. But what I have learned since is it is a, the battle of your life, those of you who failed, to continue to identify yourself as a forgiven sinner. To continue to look in the mirror and say, I'm not going to be identified by my past because that's not how God, it is the battle of your life to do what Samson did. To go to the end of his life and say, I'm going to trust you, God. Don't let your past define you. It may limit you. I'll be honest. I'm going to be honest about that. Because of that DUI and multiple DUIs, you may not be able to drive and you may, there may be limits Because of your past choices with children, you may not be allowed to be around children. There are limits because of consequences. But do not let it define you. That is what I want you to take from this story. That is this life of Samson. It's not about a broken man, but it's about a man who, who in the end was humbled and allowed God to work with him and through him and accomplish something far bigger than him because of his faith and dependence upon his creator. So as I close, there's a little statement I've learned. The band's going to come out here and lead us in a song. Um, there's a little statement I learned a long time ago. We are only as strong as we are honest. You are only as strong as you are honest. So you may sit here and think, I'm getting away with stuff. I've gotten away with stuff, but you're only as strong as you're honest. So I want to ask if through this, through is this is I'm going to pray and, and they're going to lead us in some singing. It's a song of victory. It's a song of being alive. It's a song of, so, so there's some of you in this room that I, I'm going to encourage to, to really lean into that song and sing it because you're, you have victory. I'm alive. And sing with a the hope. There's some of you in this room that you're hiding And I encourage you to say, you know what? I can be alive. I want to be alive. So spend some time getting honest through through this song. And then there's a final group here. I just want to say, bottom of my heart, if you're uncertain, if you're living with the fear of death, if you're uncertain about your relationship with God, put it to bed now. 
live with life out ahead of you and death behind you by simply saying, do you know what? God is who he says he is. I am who he says I am. I can't do it without him. And I'm going to put my faith and trust and dependence on him by repenting, turning, turning away from what I'm looking to find life and turning towards him. That's the story of Judges. That's why we've been preaching through this all summer. Our hearts clamor for so much other stuff and God say, no, 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 no. Come to me to find life. So you join with me in praying. Actually, before I pray too, I want to mention as we, as the span comes out here, they're going to, um, we'll have our offering immediately following that. Make sure you drop your contact cards in there. And any response to this message, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, make sure that. But why don't you stand with me as we pray? God, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for how you've worked through Samson. God, as we read this story, may we not get all wrapped up with Samson and Delilah. We get wrapped up with you. God, you're saying to us, I'm enough. I'm faithful. I'm going to work. I'm here. I'm alive. Come to me. God, I just want to say thank you in your grace how you've allowed me to walk some hard roads. God, you've not forced me to follow you. You've not forced any of us in this room, but you allowed me to walk and make a lot of painful mistakes. And God, I thank you so much for in your grace, you never left me. You brought me back home through those messes. And you bring me home and you sit me on your lap, I think, and I think you say, Adam, Adam, I call you by my son's name. Let's put behind what's behind and let's walk forward in grace. I thank you for how you work in our lives. God, I pray right now for those in this room who have made mistakes, big mistakes, who live with unbelievable regret that they can't seem to get past, shame and guilt that they can't seem to conquer, or maybe they get past it for a season, but then it creeps back up. God, help us to live as people. Help us. Help those right now in a position to live forgiven to live not identifying themselves with what they've done, but identifying themselves as your son and daughter because of their faith and trust in you and that you are going to accomplish what you promised in us. God, help us to do that. For those in this room that are living victorious, that are living life well, that that are, man, finding success, God, would you help them to never forget you Success can push you off of the plate in a hurry and we can get kind of reliant on ourselves and dependent and moving and loving life and all the while you're in the back burner. It's going to help us as we succeed not to live with an empty soul but to continue to look for you in those successes and trust you for the next one. And God, for those in this room that are walked in here uncertain of relationship with you, God, they weren't sure what would happen when they die. They weren't sure who you are. They weren't sure you're happy with them. They aren't quite sure. God, I pray more than anything through this song that they would put that to rest. They would hear you. They would know that you're here and alive. They would know that you see all. And they aren't, can't hide. There's nothing that they could share that will surprise you. And God, that they would simply, in faith, through the person of Jesus, trust you. How cool would that be right now to have people all through this room stepping towards you in life to become a new creation? God, we love you. Just trust you now through this song for you to work, for us to listen and respond well. God, thanks for this team. Would you bless them as they sing it? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.